the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. is connecting and communing with God. Prayer is connecting and communing with God. It is sometimes talking. It is sometimes just listening and not saying anything. It can be with words or just from your heart. There's no right or wrong way to pray. There is no designed or designated prayer posture. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can lift your hands, you can close your eyes, you can open your eyes when you pray. You can pray on the run, you can pray in public, you can pray in private. Do you know that you can connect and communicate with God? That's all that prayer is. Prayer is simply connecting and communicating with the God who created this universe and you. There are some ways Scripture has modeled prayer for us, but there is also a lot of freedom in it. In today's message, Pastor Gary will be sharing about what it practically looks like for us to pray to God. We can pray when we are happy, angry, mad, or sad. We can pray at home, work, in the church, or wherever we find ourselves. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 38, as he begins his message, Why Pray? I'm going to read the first six verses of Isaiah 38. Let me just kind of set the background to this passage here. The king at the time here is King Hezekiah. The prophet is obviously Isaiah. This is the book of Isaiah. This is a record of his prophecies and his ministry during the period of the kings. If you've been with us very long through the book of Isaiah, you will remember me saying that the Bible is not always in chronological order and that the book of Isaiah really fits within the book of 2 Kings because this is when Isaiah prophesies. He ministers during the period of the kings and the particular king of Judah right now is King Hezekiah. And so what we're about to read here in Isaiah 38 has to do with his near-death experience. Uh, God was merciful to him and extended his life. And this story is also found in 2 Kings chapter 20. So if, if we read this and you think, where have I read this before? Because you may have read it in 2 Kings chapter 20. But Isaiah has included it here in his scroll as well because it was something that occurred during Isaiah's ministry as well as occurring during Hezekiah's reign. So that's why you have it in 2 Kings 20 and also here in Isaiah 38. I'm going to read the first six verses, and here we go. Isaiah 38 verse 1 says, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. 
And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and have seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. I've entitled my sermon today, Why Pray? Why Pray? Let's first pause and do just that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time now and your word as we open up the Bible. We pray that you would speak to us through this chapter here, through this account with Hezekiah. Uh, Lord, teach us some things about prayer. Uh, many of us are familiar with the topic, but probably not as many of us are actually praying. So Lord, help us that we might enjoy this wonderful opportunity through prayer to commune with you, to connect with you. And Lord, slow us down, we pray, that we would take time to pray. Use this time in your word now to speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. A few years ago, uh, my wife Terry and I were ordering Chinese food to be delivered to our house. And so Terry was on the phone and she was ordering the food and got through the food order and got down at the end of the call to the credit card. And so she was given the credit card information over the phone. And then, then all of a sudden, and I was standing there in the kitchen, I could see her expression. All of a sudden she's still on the phone and she got an expression of joy and then an expression of like confusion. And we kind of went back and forth, joy and confusion. And she kept saying, this is, this is what I heard. She kept saying, it's a special day. What? That's wonderful. What does that mean? Do I get free food? Is it like free delivery? Well, what, what does that mean? Why do you keep saying special day, special day? What do I get? And then she just had this look of confusion and she just said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Can you talk to my husband? So she handed me the phone. <laughs> so I took the phone. I said, hello, is it a special day? <laughs> and he said, no, 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 no special day. No special day. Wife gave me credit card. I want expiration date, expiration date. <laughs> I don't, I don't share that il illustration to disparage any culture. It's just a bit of a language barrier for the moment, and expiration date is what he wanted. It wasn't a special day at all. How does that fit into this story? I'll tell you. Like a credit card, we all have an expiration date. How do you like that? And Isaiah the prophet has shown up to King Hezekiah and says to him, your expiration date is up. You better get your house in order. You're going to die. Now, I, I began thinking through studying the passage, wouldn't it be kind of cool if actually there was, if, if we were like, you know, a canned food item, if all of us were born with like an expiration date, like on our backside, you know, and so you always would know like when that day is going to happen, and then you wouldn't be afraid, like, am I going to die? Am I going to die? Oh, no, that's right. My expiration date's not up yet. And you would, you'd never be anxious or worried or fearful. You could plan accordingly. But on the other hand, if you all had an expiration date stamped on your backside, you'd be living recklessly until that day, probably. So God knows what he's doing. And he doesn't tell us in advance when your expiration date is. But in this case, he does. He says to the prophet Isaiah, I want you to go to King Hezekiah and I want you to tell him, yes, he's sick and he will not recover. His days are numbered. He's going to die. 
And Hezekiah hears this word. This is grim news for him. He's 39 years of age at this time. Nobody, you're 39, you don't want to hear. I mean, it's the prime of your life. You don't want to hear, hey, you're getting ready to die. And so this is the news that he's being told by Isaiah that he, because of his sickness, will not recover and he's going to die. Actually, I didn't read it, but further down in chapter 38, in verse 21, it tells us the source of his illness because it gives us the cure here in a moment in, in verse 21. But in verse 21, it tells us that he, his sickness is the result of an infected boil, which apparently has caused sepsis throughout his whole body. Uh, now the infection from the boil has, has spread throughout his whole system, and he's dying from this. It's a raging infection, and so Isaiah is sent by the Lord to tell him that he, that he will not recover. And Hezekiah, you know, maybe he's standing or sitting. I kind of picture that perhaps he's lying in bed because he's sick and, and that he rolls over because it does say that he faces the wall. He hears this news from Isaiah and then he turns and he faces the wall and he prays. He prays and his prayer is simple. And I want you to notice with me, we're, we're going to read it again in verse three. His prayer is so simple. He doesn't even ask God for anything. He, he does, it's, it's not what, you know, if it were, if it were me, I would be like, why do I have to die? I'm only 39. God, you know, help me and, you know, cure me and, 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 and save me. And I don't want to die. And he doesn't do any of that. It's very interesting here. He doesn't ask God for anything. He turns with his face to the wall and listen to, listen to what he does. He appeals to the memory of God. He not even to the mercy of God. God's going to be merciful, but he appeals to the memory of God and because his prayer is just, Lord, remember that I've lived faithfully and devoted to you. Please remember that. Notice again, it's a very simple, short prayer. It's just verse 3. Look at verse 3. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. That's his whole prayer. And then it adds, and Hezekiah wept bitterly. So he's distraught. He's weeping. He hears this news. He knows. I mean, the word of Isaiah is true. So he knows that his time is short here. And, and he just prays this simple prayer. Remember, Lord, that I've been faithful and devoted to you. And then he weeps. It's one of the simplest prayers. But God honored it. God honored it. And I love the way it also adds in verse 5 that God heard his prayers heard his prayers and saw his tears. Heard his prayers and saw his tears. In Psalm 56, verse 8, very interesting verse in the Bible. Psalm 56, verse 8 says that God bottles up our tears and records them in his book. God is acquainted with our grief and familiar with our suffering and knows when we are in anguish. Psalm 56, verse 8, he bottles up our tears and he writes them in his book. God sees, God takes note when we are in anguish. And this simple prayer of Hezekiah's was enough for God. It was enough. God had mercy on Hezekiah and he sent Isaiah back to tell him, I'll add 15 more years to your life and I will defend Jerusalem against the Assyrians. I mean, he he goes even above and beyond. Hezekiah didn't even ask for healing, and God says, I'm going to heal you. And then God adds, and I'm going to protect Jerusalem from the Assyrians. 
Now, by the way, the, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, that God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. Okay, we are fickle like that, but God is not. He is constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God is not like a man that he should lie or change his mind. So did he change his mind here? He adds 15 more years to Hezekiah's life. Hezekiah didn't even ask for it. No, the fact of the matter is that God is consistent. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't lie. It was part of the will and intent of God that Hezekiah should live a longer life. But this was a moment of testing. Will Hezekiah get angry at God? Will Hezekiah curse God? Will Hezekiah get mad at Isaiah? Or will he turn his face to the wall and pray a simple prayer? Remember me, Lord, and weep. And in response to that, God gave Hezekiah what I believe in the sovereign will of God was God's original intention for Hezekiah. But he wanted to see if Hezekiah was willing enough to humble himself to receive it. And so God was merciful. And he extends Hezekiah's life 15 more years. And it's interesting also to notice the method by which God heals Hezekiah. If you look in verse 21, I'll just refer to it. I'm not going to quote it. But in verse 21, God tells Isaiah to prepare a poultice of figs, like just kind of a a mushy fig substance, and apply it to the boil. I'm sure that was a wonderful day for Isaiah. You know, I just, like God, God's like, Isaiah, I want you to make this mixture of, of figs, and I want you to go ahead and put it right there on that boil on Hezekiah's body. What? I mean, do I have any rubber gloves for this, Lord? I mean, you know, do I have to touch the boil? And this, you know, I can just see Isaiah like, okay, Lord, you know. But So he's putting this mixture of figs on the boil. This is what God told him to do. It's basically a medicinal compound here by which God is going to use this to extract the infection. Now, please note, look, God is a God of miracles, and God can choose to heal somebody any way he jolly well wants to. But there are times when God will use natural means to accomplish a supernatural end. Okay? Don't despise doctors and medicine. Okay? Listen, God is the ultimate healer, always. But God uses doctors and God uses medicine. God uses natural means to accomplish his supernatural purposes. For goodness sakes, in this story, God used a fig Newton. (laughs) So he can use whatever he wants. And so Hezekiah is healed here. And Hezekiah gets this extension on his life. And I just love the way that God honors a very simple, non-demanding, broken man's prayer in response. So let's examine the role of prayer in the life of an individual. And before we actually talk about why pray, we need to first answer the question, what is prayer? I know it might seem a bit elementary to to most of us, but in its simplest definition, prayer is connecting and communing with God. Prayer is connecting and communing with God. It is sometimes talking. It is sometimes just listening and not saying anything. It can be with words or just from your heart. There's no right or wrong way to pray. There is no designed or designated prayer posture. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can lift your hands, you can close your eyes, you can open your eyes when you pray. You can pray on the run, you can pray in public, you can pray in private. You can pray in the morning, you can pray in the evening, you can pray everywhere in between. But the main thing is, we need to pray. 
We need to pray. You say, well, I don't really have time to pray. I really can't afford to pray. You can't not afford to pray. I know that's a double negative, and you grammar teachers would really have a problem with that. But you know what I'm saying? Prayer is so important, we can't afford not to. And we deny ourselves and we rob ourselves of what, of what God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives because we don't take time to pray. We don't take time to seek his face. And the Bible actually exhorts us to pray in different places. For example, Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. In Colossians 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray continually. Now, whenever you read in the Bible strong exhortations, one after another, it's given to us intentionally because what it says to us is it won't come naturally. We will get occupied, busy, and if it's not our own system of busyness, trust me, the enemy will try to make you busy so that you don't pray and seek God too. So between ourselves and between whatever the enemy tries to throw our way to keep us at a distance from God, those things will constantly be competing with us. In, in our attempt to get alone with the Lord. That's why the scripture constantly is telling us, devote yourself to prayer, continually pray. You know, because it won't come easily, it won't come naturally, but if we don't, we do ourselves a disservice. G.K. Chesterton once said, quote, the difference between talking about prayer and actually praying is the same as the difference between blowing a kiss and actually kissing. That we can talk about prayer a lot, but unless we actually pray, we're, we're not really engaging with the heart of God. So, why pray? I'm going to submit to you five reasons to consider prayer. And this list could be exhaustive. You could come up with, I'm sure, much better points than I'm going to give you, but I'm going to give you just five so that together we can consider the importance of prayer. As we see just the example here of Hezekiah, I mean, it's not this long, laborious prayer. It's not, you know, he didn't go on and on and on. It was just one verse. Didn't even ask anything. Turns his face toward the wall, prays to God on behalf of God's memory. Lord, just remember that I've been faithful to you. And then he weeps bitterly and God takes note of it. So here's the first thing. Why pray? Number one, because I may not receive what God wants me to have until I ask. I may not receive what God wants me to have until I ask. Now, it isn't that God delights in just withholding things from us, but I'm going to explain what I mean as as I go through this point. First of all, in your Bibles, you can write down in the margin here, James 4, verse 2. James 4, verse 2 makes it pretty clear. You don't have because you don't ask God. That's what James 4.2 says. You have not because you ask not. You don't have because you have not asked God. Now, by the way, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 8, your father knows what you need even before you ask. So it's easy to get a little cynical about prayer, isn't it? Because if you think to yourself, all right, well, God is my father and he loves me. and He wants his best for me. So if he knows what I need, and Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8, he knows what I need even before I ask. Why bother asking? I mean, why doesn't he just give me what I want or what I need? Why doesn't he anticipate everything, because God knows everything, and then just go ahead and deliver without my having to ask? What's the purpose in prayer? Why would God withhold things from me until I ask? Now, by the way, it isn't as if God withholds everything, everything from you and me. 
He wants us to ask. He certainly anticipates what we need. And, and you better believe there are many times that God lavishes upon us what we don't deserve, what we haven't asked for because he's already anticipated our need and he's taking care of it. It's just like, you know, as a parent, you wouldn't, you wouldn't treat your kids that way. Well, I'm not going to give you a single thing until you ask. That's not the way God treats us. You know, well, I see, I see, Johnny, you have holes in your shoes, but I'm not going to give you a pair of shoes until you ask. I see that you're hungry, Sally, but I'm not going to give you any food until you ask. I mean, that's ridiculous. No parent treats a child like that. God doesn't treat us like that. But there are times, there are times where God is waiting for us to ask why. Because in asking, we're learning some things. Number one, humility in asking. You ever have a hard time asking somebody for something? You know, because you don't want to impose, you don't want to be a burden, so I don't want to ask, all right? Um, and we can treat God that way. Well, I don't want to impose, I don't want to ask. God is teaching us humility, because it takes humility to ask. Okay, God, I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to ask. We also learn patience while we're waiting. Because between asking and when the answer comes, whatever that answer might be, we learn patience in our waiting. And we learn how to be grateful for what we receive after we receive in response to what we've asked. So we learn all these different things. So this is why God says, I want you to ask. Because we learn to appreciate and respect and honor and worship the one who has provided for us what we've asked. We learn patience in our waiting. We learn humility in the process of asking. So it's not like God is just, you know, this manipulative dad in heaven who's just like, I'm not going to give you a single thing till you ask. But James 4.2 says you don't have because you don't ask. God is wanting us to step towards him. And God is wanting us to engage with the heart of our Father and say, Lord, Father, this is my request. This is my plea. This is my prayer. This is my desire. This is my my wish. This is my want. Now, listen, God as our Father is going to, he's going to filter through all of our requests. All right? As our Father in heaven, he's going to filter through all of this because some of the things we want, we don't have the understanding or the capacity to realize that some of the things we want aren't good for us. And God does. Don't think that God is a vending machine or a genie in a bottle. That's not what prayer is about. Well, I just, you know, throw up some prayers, pull a lever, and God's going to give me what I want. No. God is our Father, and as our Father, sometimes His answer is going to be yes, sometimes His answer is going to be no, and sometimes His answer is going to be not now. And we have to be willing to trust Him as our Father in heaven who always does what is best for us. But He says, I want you to come and I want you to ask. I want you to make your request known to me. I want you to ask. But now listen, there's a warning. Because in James 4.2, when it says you have not because you ask not, James 4.3 says, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Oh, so James qualifies the request there. He says, now, I want you to ask. I want you to ask God because the reason a lot of times you don't have is because you haven't even asked. But by the way, there's another reason why you don't get And that's because you've asked, but you've asked with wrong motives. God is not obligated to deliver to us what we ask with wrong motives. And now you might be wondering, well, how can I know if my request is one with wrong motives? Answer, when you don't get what you asked for. (laughs) Now, that doesn't mean everything that you don't get that you asked for is because you prayed with wrong motives. But what it does mean is if you pray with wrong motives, you won't get what you asked for. 
Okay, not every every time God says no, it's because we ask with wrong motives. But every time we ask with wrong motives, God's going to say no. Why? Well, because God is sometimes protecting us from our own selfish ambitions that are not in step with His purposes and plans for our lives. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was a man who lived during many kings' reigns. Perhaps the most well-known king during Isaiah's time was Hezekiah. Isaiah offered counsel and wisdom God had given him, encouraging these kings to continue following God. Some of them did, and others followed their own ways or the people's ways more than God's. Isn't it easy to slip into what the world around you is doing or saying, giving into their ways and rituals? This was the case then, and it's the case now. But what we can learn from Isaiah is that God can use people to speak truth. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can speak truth to one another? Here at Cornerstone Chapel, we get together each Sunday and Wednesday to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. It's a powerful time for us to learn together and fellowship together. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Find service times and directions by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks so much for listening and learning in the book of Isaiah on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.